I really spent a half a million on the house for granted. I'm really out here dancing. I'm really not romantic. I really got that petty. Hey, hey, I really know it's Eddie. Yo, what's up, man? We're back. It's first smoke of the day. It's episode 44, and we're here at the Fresh Trees Art Gallery in downtown LA. I'm Pat Gods. We're my co-host, Blackleaf. We got a super special guest in the building today, a big dog, Josh from Nature. Up, How are up? you, brother? I'm good. How are you? Man, thanks for joining us today. Thanks for having me, Cody and Lance. Appreciate you guys. <laughs> yeah, man. Appreciate that. Yep. Yes, sir. Um, big fan. Get into it, man. Uh, you got a lot of history. A lot of history, but at the end of the day, a lot of it, as far as cannabis, came back to just just smoking. Like you know, my parents are hearing a lot of these stories in the last you know ten years that I kept uh, to the chest a long time. But started smoking in the Bay Area from the Bay Area, born and raised at a really young age, uh, and I was fortunate uh, to be in a place where, when I was sixteen years old in high school in nineteen ninety six, uh, and we were passing Proposition or Prop- Proposition 215 was in the runnings for California. I was able to even do a, a, a project on it in class in high schools. And Damn. I was already wow. that kid, you know, in, in 1996. So very fortunate and blessed and able to get my Prop 215 letter when I was 18 and, and really using the California normal list of dispensaries or collectives from, I think at one point it was Canada uh, Washington, Hawaii, Oregon, and California, a list of all the places that you could, as a medical patient, go to using that as like a doctrine or a, a playbook to really just learn more about what was happening in the, in the cannabis world. And this is on Uh, online or on the back of high times where at one point, California normal was just California, CA normal.org. Um, a list, you know, it was just a list and, and you would go on there and you would see, you know, all the, the active collectives in a, with their addresses and a way of contacting them. I'll get into it later. That's how, when we started a collective in LA, we put ourselves on this list. You had overgrow, you had IC mag, you had a couple websites that you could really, you know, get to the, the people with, but it was very limited. And we were also trying to be very hush hush. Yeah. Those days were different. You had to be. You know, I mean, it had so, to be. So that was in 96 that you got your, your prop 215. Uh, 98. Recommendation. When I turned okay, 18, not, it was one of the first things I did. Bring it back a little <laughs> bit. What was your first time smoking weed? First time smoking weed was uh, with some friends, older brothers, or the older brother and the friends. I had never smoked a cigarette in my life. I never, I barely even drank till I was in my early 20s. So I never had any smoke in my throat. And I remember I even like, like yacked a little bit like when i took my first puff and it was super embarrassing i was not even 13 years old with uh all my 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 friends older brother you know the older brother and all their friends and i was you know teased when i got in as a freshman into high school by these (laughs) older kids for you know being the kid that threw up when he smoked the first time but it was it was good weed uh it was seedless like good weed i think at the time from uh mendocino or sonoma some sun grown or whatnot that the older brothers were getting uh, but at that time, when we were 13, 14, the only way of getting weed for us, because uh, I didn't have uh, too many connects, was taking a, a, a train from where we were down in Burlingame up to San Francisco, getting on a bus, going to Hate Street and buying sacks, you know, off the side of Damn. the street on Hate Street, Hate Asbury, Golden Gate, Golden Gate Park, got ripped off a couple times, too. And yeah. then when we hit a certain age, we'd slowly meet people that would have, you know, the good some brick and then good stuff would would come that's man that's crazy that's a long time ago on yeah there's a lot of like you know it was before 
before beasters got really big, there was, there was a lot of, you know, at the beginning you'd get a little bit of Mac Mexican, like seeded brick weed a little bit when you were younger. And eventually when we discovered, you know, seedless, uh, good quality, which was normally either some really rare indoor that we'd get from like Tahoe. There was cat piss out of Tahoe that we were getting in high school. That was, I don't, I can't find anything like it today. Really airy, uh, loose buds probably also cause they didn't have CO2 or whatever in the grow rooms or whatnot at that time, but really dank ammonia, uh, smelling capis that, that, uh, that I haven't smelled. There's a couple of those strains from like the 97 to 2000 era, Northern California particular that I, I haven't seen these genetics since, uh, that I've missed the blue dots. There was a strain called blue dot in the Bay area that was like a blueberry focused, uh, strain super frosty, which was actually the first branded uh, cannabis I ever saw in my life at the Compassionate Caregivers, which was a dispensary chain that had, I think, at one point like six shops. Um, they had a Blue Dot. It was by a group called the Farm. They called themselves Pharmacy Blue Dot, and it was a sixty dollar uh, little tin of Blue Dot. That was the first time I saw nice. like a branded jar or tin of cannabis. I think that was ninety eight. And how old, are, how old are you? This is a few years after you started smoking. Yeah, out. no, this was about five years after, after smoking at that, at the time it, when we were smoking, yeah. we were just smoking what we got. And a lot of it was 20 sacks. A lot of it is if you had 60 bucks, you'd go to a friend and he'd say, I, I don't have any eighths, take three twenties, which were probably 0.8s or, and I never really sold. I never, I, I never, I never dealt weed at that time. I only had it to give to my friends. So I would pay less for myself or whatnot. I was, I, I joked about it that when I eventually, when I was like 22, 23 with the collective, that was like the first time that I really started like legally moving cannabis at all for, you know, medical patients and whatnot. But like, I, I made sure it was in a legal, somewhat legal setting as legal as possible at that time. Yeah. And that's the beginnings too. So <laughs> everybody's kind of figuring it out. It's crazy coming from the Bay Area and all that history. I mean, you 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 laid some on us before the before the show. Just um, some interesting stuff about area where you come from. What what was it like? You know, going to high school and during that time was this the late nineties? The late nineties. I was really fortunate. I'll use that word a lot because I was it just I am like I, my dad uh, and mom. I come from a great family. My dad came from a really poor family. Uh, he was born in nineteen forty seven in in Israel, but it wasn't Israel yet. It was Palestine. Uh, he came over after the six day war, which was in 1967, he was wounded. Uh, it's a long story how he came to America through my aunt in Northern Ireland and my uncle who had lived in San Francisco at the time, uh, came from Israel to America. My uncle came to America with maybe 200 bucks, 300 bucks in his pocket. My dad probably came with 500, uh, came from families that, uh, were really poor. My mom, on the other hand, single, uh, child from San Francisco, uh, father and mother also uh, father was an immigrant um but worked really hard and they were a little bit more well off he they had a grocery store he was do, a boxing uh, uh agent for boxers i think or doing some kind of promotion promotions for fights uh my father came from israel to san francisco uh started from nothing with my uncle my uncle at the time in 67 at an ice cream shop um but he eventually you know, didn't make money with the ice cream shop, but he was kind of a really social guy. Him and my dad together are just magical. Eventually became a baker. And in the 80s, my uncle invented uh, a, an American truffle, which is a specific shape of a truffle. 
So he was already doing some amazing things with chocolate. He had a 20, I think 25,000 square foot uh, factory in uh, Hunter's Point, part of San Francisco, which was really dangerous at the, at the time. It was near Candlestick Park, but I grew up as a little kid seeing him with like, I think it was like a hundred employees, uh, white lab coats, making like hundreds of thousands of these truffles and sculptures out of chocolate. The whole city knew him. We'd go to all these restaurants. My father was a restaurateur as well, but my uncle would show up with chocolates and the top restaurants would have the tables waiting for you and whatnot. Um, so I was fortunate in that sense of really being able to see a lot, do a lot in San Francisco, always being able to like, say I'm the the nephew of Joseph Schmidt at that time was a really big thing. Um, but I would use that list that I talked about earlier and really start visiting the shops. And some of these, some of my great friends that I, that I grew up with, uh, particular two guys, one Bosco and one was named Brad, uh, we would start finding ways to creatively vend to these stores. So what we did, and this was all part of being in the Bay area, um, we, found this group that grew a bunch of train wreck uh, in the Central Valley and they were selling sun-grown uh, train wreck at the time. And we asked them about where all their trim was going and they didn't even know what to do with it. They were a Mong Lao family and I think it was Stockton. And uh, they're like, we're, you want it? Like we have, first we're getting it for free. Eventually they caught on, they were selling mm -hmm. it for a little bit, but you would show up to this uh, apartment complex and they would, you know, the whole apartment complex would be the same family. And they would bag by bag, the doors would open and bag by bag, all these like guard black garbage bags would come out of all of the different uh, apartments. And we would fill vans up uh, with train wreck trim that we would tumble and train wreck was all the rage at that time. And we would tumble and we'd make these, uh, these bricks of hash. Potent smell too. Potent so. smell, unique train wreck hash on the menu is just a really unique thing. Racy high. So that's how I met Burner mm -hmm. uh, for the first time because we started vending uh, to all of these you know, shops on the list and whatnot. When you, what kind of hash you said? So Train wreck, it was pucks. You, we would be use the Jack Puck press or something yeah. like that at the beginning, but then we made our own that was like a little bit bigger. A dry sift or dry wash? Sift, okay. Dry sift tumble yep. and then uh, collect the resin heads. Before I'd spent a lot of time in Amsterdam, even at that, this time I went when I was like 19, 20, 21, staying at uh, Mila, the isolator bag. I went to her hotel, the hemp hotel, stayed with her a lot. Uh, met Marcus bubble man, like really it met him out in Holland. I was like, Oh, I was going to the cannabis cups in Holland. I was met Aryan the, the year he came out with uh, Hawaiian snow and passed around like a joint this big. And it's really full circle to see him in Spain with you guys and, and just even be friends now and whatnot. Um, but Bay vending to all these stores, meeting Gil, uh, became friends. That's how we, you know, eventually got into cook, doing cookies Thailand and all these things. I uh, get connected through pistol point through my partner and a project we were doing. Um, we can't skip over that. That's yeah, two no, massive we'll, we'll things. We'll, we'll get, get into both that. those. Yeah. So, so vending to all these shops and eventually we, we were doing really well with that. And we we're like, wow, like let's do, let's do one of these ourselves. So we eventually, uh, got enough, together to go get a property in Butte County, uh, a little area called, where was it? It was uh, Four Trees east of, of Concow. And we grew, I think it was 72 plants. And we did it all compliantly with, with, with patients and whatnot. And the sheriffs came down oh. and asked us what we're doing with everything. And they said, uh, they said that, um, you know, it's a lot of cannabis for so few people. What are you going to do? So we eventually formed a collective 
and then migrated the collective to Van Nuys. We, we found a strip mall on Craigslist. Uh, we were young, we were uh, hungry, and we wanted to do some, something special. And we knew that, uh, especially looking at that California uh, normal list, there was a big, uh, there was a big area of, of Southern California that didn't have safe access to medicine. And we had, a, you know, with what we had grown and with, you know, some of our other indoor contacts and whatnot, we, we felt like we were ready. We knew what it took to have one of these good collectives. Uh, and we went into Craigslist and we got a little strip mall in Van Nuys, 7100 Van Nuys Boulevard at Sherman Way. And we started Tricome Healing Caregivers, which uh, uh, to this day was uh, one of the most fun places. And that was the first one of the, the it was the first collective in Van Nuys ever. The second in the valley, Calvin Fry had something called uh, West or Compassionate. I think it was Compassionate Caregivers of Studio City or something like mm -hmm. that. Now Clonesville or something like that uh, or became that. But we were the second. That's what was going to be my question. Were yeah. you the first one in the valley? Because the valley is such a crucial area, California, if you don't know that 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 area is the mecca of, you know, San Fernando Valley OG SFV. Mm -hmm. You know, there's exactly. a lot of weed grown right there. Yeah, it was, it was tough. It was tough because we were some Bay guys coming in with all the purples and all the other flavors. But uh, we were coming into OG territory and we didn't have OG on the menu right away. And, and people were telling us, uh, uh, yo, you need to have OG on the menu. And we, we heard the prices and we're like, at those prices, we can't. We just that's not medical. That's not compassion. Uh, eventually, we got it to a point where we got some fair priced OG that was really nice. And we called it the $100 OG because at that time, other stores were charging $30, $35 a gram all the way up. And we wouldn't do that. So we, we used it as you know, a way to, to keep our, our patients loyal and in there to, that needed the OG. Uh, but we still had a lot of other good flavors that we would go up to Northern California and get ourselves. So what do you like if, if you don't mind me asking because i've always been interested in this what are the differences in northern and, and southern when you're 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 saying you got to have og on the menu down here what's the bay what are they producing at the time then purple really everything was flavors Urkel, god's and gift granddaddies uh, at that time and one of our mentors uh was uh kenny Estes, who had you know in that little area of oakland he was like the king of granddaddy uh he he you go to his store and there are always like eight or nine kinds of purple. Uh, you had to have some really good granddaddy or some really good Urkel on your menu in the Bay at that time to even compete. And everyone was just selling purple. Very little OG at that time. And just a lot of good flavors. Just a lot of morning glory, morning star, Ingrid, uh, and cough, NL5 hazes, uh, strand. Like, I don't even know, like Originals. original cherry AKs. Mm -hmm. Um, this is before the cookies, before the before sunset sherbet, before, before, before all yeah, that. Before just so cookies. people know that, that, that just, this is the lineage before that. When you start hearing NL and all that. Yeah, we were all at that time, we were all going to Holland. That was like, you know, at the same time when we went down to LA and we started in LA, Don and Aaron DNA kind of took the LA California vibe to Holland. And it was like, sim like what well, we, it was going over there and they, they were instrumental in, in doing a lot of the California style genetics for the masses, uh, out of, out of, you know, Holland at that time. Um, but we were, you know, Northern California was definitely purples and those kind of strains. When we wanted to start growing the gas, when everyone wanted us to start growing the gas, we, uh, at that time, Adam ill worked for, mm -hmm. uh, uh, mm -hmm. Cali connection with swerve. 
So we would connect with him to get a large amount of seeds because when we needed to grow the gas in seed form, there was no one that had it in seed form. And to get cuts at the time was really difficult and growing them out and you didn't know if it was you know a good one or whatnot. So when we wanted to grow gas in the ground up in the hills, we would go buy, you know, 5,000, 10,000 seeds, feminized seeds at the time of the gas from, you know, Cali Connection through, or we would buy online. Uh, we would use Seed Boutique. We would use, you know, when Attitude came online, we would use a lot of these other players. Or we would go to Europe and, and get seeds or go to Canada and however they, they got here. Uh, but we were just growing a lot of different things, but it eventually turned into gas, fruit, pine for, you know, those kind of flavor profiles that the buyers or wholesalers were looking for. Man, I get super heady with all that. Yeah. I know he does. He, you know, we like to hear about the early days. And so continue where I know we like to hear the story, continue with the Valley, right? Let's hear about those yeah. hundred dollar OGAs. Well, so you come down, <laughs> you, guys, you guys set up shop. What was it like? I mean, I'm sure people were started, going in there like, yo, you, oh, you don't started, got OG. Like, started like 15 people a day. One of the first days I had this young kid with long hair come in with his dad. His name's Caden. Caden uh, does Kush Stock now. He was literally, I think, like 18 years old. Mr. K. We have Dr. K, Mr. Yeah. K. We didn't have any employees. He comes in with his dad. Hey, you know, I'd love for you to employ my son. He was our first employee. We started from the ground. We had a room. We were living in the, 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 in the shop because uh, we just didn't know if it would work or not. Within the first couple of months, we got our money together to get a, a place in Woodland Hills. Then eventually we all went our separate way. We went to the, the hills, Laurel Canyon. Um, at that time, it was really dangerous. We had a lot of home invasions. There was a lot of bad things happening because nobody could put the money in the bank. Uh, if we did put it in the bank, they'd shut us down and they'd keep it or they wouldn't. You know, it's not like today where they would give money back. Uh, robberies, all that kind of stuff. Um, How'd you talk the landlord into getting you the spot? We were a, uh, we were a compassionate caregiver under Prop 215 and uh, recognized under Prop 215 and Senate Bill 420 at the time. So that was our business license. And he was okay with that. We were compassionate caregivers. Okay. Yeah, we were compassionate caregivers. At that time, you, don't, you, didn't, we were, you, don't, you didn't really talk about what you were doing. We, there were no permits or licenses for the city or the county. Very few in West Hollywood were starting to get it at that time. West Hollywood was the only area of LA that, you know, that had their uh, shit together in that sense. Um, about three years after having uh, THC and Van Nuys, we eventually got a license in West Hollywood. It's now Zen West Hollywood, the store. We were this West Hollywood Center for Compassionate Healing. Uh, it was a little store. We didn't really turn it into something really as big as Zen has. But at one point I had those two stores. Uh, but Back to Van Nuys, 10 people a day, turned into 20 people a day, uh, turned into 40 people a day. Eventually, by our first year, we're, we're seeing over 400 on 420, you know, and wow, it was just, it, it was really amazing. Like, you know, we were focused on getting all of our medicine from Northern California or from growers directly and not waiting for vendors to come to us because people were just cold calling and asking to vend and if you get the last of the last and you're paying the most you're not really doing that well so our strong suit was going up north burn or gill and our relationship was so fantastic at the time uh because he had so many connections from working at the hemp center on geary which was to this day still one of my favorite collectives and experiences with the owner kathleen and the whole crew and 
I really learned a lot and love that place. You could go in there with $50 or and prorate an eighth or like an eighth four ways, get four different things prorated or one. It was just, it was crazy. And you could smoke in there. It was patient centric. Yeah. Very patient centric. She mm -hmm. was very uh, political too. You could call government and like, you know, raise some hell and she would give you a free joint or do something, you know, give you a, a discount or something like that. Forgot what it was, but it was a great place. He eventually started coming down to LA once in a while and helping us get product because it got so crazy in the Valley and in LA uh that we couldn't keep going up north or the drivers would get pulled over we'd have drivers pulled over get their money taken uh at the time sometimes they were flying up north and the money would get taken out of the airplane uh confiscated product coming down i mean everything you could think of uh that's happened in 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 cannabis i've experienced it i'll get it to get into it later i've had a dead guy on my property that died in a fire trying to burn my house down in, in the hills when I was growing outdoor. Uh, I've had, you know, home invasions. I've been tied up in the store. I've been tied up in the house. Um, I definitely want to hear about the fire story when yeah. you got some, you know. all these things that like, you know, I can look back on today. Uh, and, and it's, you know, there's a lot of civil rights and a lot of those types of things in what we all do that make me proud of what we do and what we've gone through and where we're going because of what we've experienced. And it's not just me, it's everyone. And everyone has a story um, that uh, it's, it's like really beautiful that really beautiful to see how the, the light at the end of the tunnel is kind of opening up. It's changing. You can have security now. So that guy who's coming to shoot you or trying to rob you or kidnap you. You used to hear about these stories in the Hills where a collective owner would get kidnapped. Yep. Like mutilated, that was a, that was a normal thing. Yeah. That was like, oh yeah, that happens sometimes. I've heard that. And it's like, no, that can't, that's insane. You can have a bank account. That guy's paying you taxes. Can pay yeah. taxes. You know, a lot at that time, you know, everyone knew that the money wasn't in the bank, you know, everywhere, you know, for the most part, you know, so it was always hunting season. I mean, it's still there with all the, you know, traditional and black, a lot of that stuff. There's still a lot of cash around everywhere people still have to be like really careful and with the way the world is today and and all that have to, we have to be vigilant and really look after one another uh but it's an amazing community every every industry or every uh social uh uh group in the world has these types of communities the, the cannabis community is super unique i'm and we're once again fortunate and blessed to like be a part of something that we've all We've all stuck through a lot or even the new guys that it's important for them to hear the stories that we can all tell to know what we've gone through, to, to, to share the experiences, to hopefully never let any of these things happen again. Uh, but to really know where we all came from and, and, and know our, our true foundation. Yeah. I mean that alone, there's a, there's a series of just, you want to hear a crazy story? <laughs> Everybody in cannabis says that. Yeah. Yeah. What, uh, where does it go after the Valley? After the Valley to West Hollywood, West Hollywood. We, then we were having two shops. Uh, a lot of my employees eventually and like coworkers eventually opened their own, uh, retails or did their own things or, or you know, people wanted to, people saw it, it wasn't necessarily the most difficult thing to do. And we were all young and didn't have families and children and wives and whatnot. So people were going around a lot of my uh, friends that I grew up with that came down and helped us would go open stores, still have some stores today. There's still like some people around LA that I still see, you know, people that came from the THC Van Nuys or, uh, West Hollywood center for compassion healing kind of network 
Uh, and that speaks to your success as a manager. A lot of that. And like yeah. my partner, he was, you know, my, the, we had a couple partners. There was another third guy, even I, I lost him. We lost him. He passed away like literally a week before we opened. Uh, it, it was at the time when a lot of people were overdosing from Oxycontin and, and drugs. And he, he took one combination of something that stopped his heart. And he was a really young, amazing person. He was supposed to be along the whole uh, ride with us, rest in peace, Paul. So he didn't make it. We've lost, I've lost a good amount of friends, uh, to that through the years, which is really sad. A lot of money was being made too really quickly. So a lot, you know, for young people, but he wasn't necessarily, he has a whole story in his own, but, uh, it wasn't from that, just a sad misfortune with, uh, pills and all that stuff. Um, eventually, all of this, the robberies and the, you know, the, the, we had a DEA raid in Van Nuys where they came in there for 12 hours. And I was in LA, I was like eating lunch when I got the call that they were in there, uh, raiding. They went over there one day, uh, undercover DEA. Um, the guy had a radio, he dressed kind of transient, dirty looking. Mm. Uh, we had a security with, the, with a gun and, and they looked like police at the time. Uh, the guy's radio went off in his pocket when the re our reception was asking for his doctor note. Um, he was startled because he didn't know that it was on. And our security guard said, what's in your pocket, sir? What, 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 what kind of radio is that? And the, the, the officer or whatever was like, uh, 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 please don't hurt me. Please don't hurt me. And nobody was touching him. It was just a weird, awkward moment in the reception. That was a code for he's been found. For the other agents, they broke in, they threw wow. everyone on the ground. At the time, we had our sickest, some of our sickest patients uh, in there. They threw them all on the ground, uh, tied everyone up, uh, tried to break the safe for seven hours, eventually got a safe cracker over. We were really strong with Amer Americans for Safe Access, donating a lot of money, having them come every week. So when the safe crackers came, we had a whole group of protesters and uh amazing people in the parking lot, like, like kind of pushing the like van, this van that got commissioned from the DEA to like come open it, uh, from Laverne. So they were like nervous for their lives. So they didn't get out. They eventually left. And then later at the night, uh, another safe cracker came open. They took all our money. They took the product. No one got arrested. Uh, we You're opened. legally paying taxes at this time no there was no there was no so it was before that we were doing like our our, our way of paying like yes collective taxes there were no city state okay. taxes that we you know we, we were working with our our legal and with the the city and state to do what we could this is when the da swooped in and just decided to basically take seizures it they was happening a lot it was money. happening a lot there was this is also the same time they were sending letters to mm -hmm. to uh owners of the the you know is the bush i think in ashcroft uh, era where they were sending letters to to the owners of buildings threatening them that they're you know violating federal law and they're going to lose their you know properties and whatnot uh cash seizure same time yeah and they and they would it would be a letter they sent it to my parents house they sent it to my apartment they send wow. it to everyone every address to let everyone know that they're getting a receipt and it tells you how much money they take or whatever they take and if you want to get it back or you want to fight it this is how you get it back never did that uh, so after that, there was a lot of this kind of stuff the calls to my dad about the home invasions and my parents and, you know, you sure you want to do this? And I would, a couple of my friends that I, I started with eventually left because they couldn't take it anymore, but it was a lot of stress. Uh, I, I, I got a call to go to Thailand the first time for vacation and I f discovered Thailand on vacation. 
long story short, I eventually shut down LA with, with my partners. I was done. Uh, we exit, you know, my partner pretty much took it all and, and just sold, got a little bit of money. I think after doing really well, I think I saved like 60, $70,000, nothing, nothing at all, like really big. And I moved to Thailand for four years. Wow. I moved to Thailand for four years, eventually uh, sold rice, like Thai rice. This is when Alibaba started. So I was just mm-hmm. hustling rice as a white guy in Bangkok to the world through Alibaba. Uh, and so I know a lot about rice and then uh, Colombian coffee. I went to college for two years, Boston University in Boston. I met a great group of people. Some of them were from Colombia and they got into the coffee uh, industry. So I was importing Colombian coffee from Colombia to Asia, mostly doing rice uh, for four years, still growing my couple plants on the balcony. Uh, very dangerous in Thailand at the time, super dangerous in, uh, 2000, I think it was 2008, 2009. Uh, but you I would lived... see people hung with cranes. Oh yeah. When you would land in Bangkok, uh, there's two airports, but there was one airport called Don Mung and there'd be a billboard that, you know, drug punishing is, is punishable by death. And the Bangkok Hilton is a yeah. very famous jail that they call the Bangkok Hilton where, you know, for a joint at that time, you're facing like, I don't, I don't want to say death in Thailand, but almost, uh, depending who, you, depending who you were over 10 years jail time. Easy. Yep. For Easy. a joint. So yeah. So like for, for wow. cannabis and I yeah. wasn't smuggling, I'm not bringing stuff over international, uh, uh, borders. You go to a reggae bar over there they call them reggae bars. There's always one in every little town. And then you meet a, a dreadheaded Thai and he'll sell you a little bag of some brick Lao weed that got compressed and sent on a boat from Laos into Thailand. That's for, until about a couple of years ago, that was probably, and still is the majority of the cannabis consumed in Thailand. Those guys are risking years. death though. Those guys. Yeah. But it's so corrupt over there, especially if it's one guy on a boat paying the Lao side and paying the police. There's definitely some money. Like, okay. Yeah, for sure. So yeah, I, I think that, that people are, are paying off people much like Morocco to Spain and all these other places, the world is getting better in that sense and tougher. Mm-hmm. Uh, but there's definitely a lot of corruption over there. Uh, but yeah, I took an exit. Uh, I, after all that, I, I exited to Thailand. I got out of cannabis for four, I think it was four, almost five years. Uh, lived in Thailand, did the thing. My, my wife was my girlfriend. So I was also working together with her. We were learning to live with each other. Uh, we were traveling together. I have, you know, I, I've traveled, you know, and I use that as a jumping point to Nepal and India, but for cannabis, you know, obviously I didn't tell my wife it was only for cannabis, but for, went to Northern India, to the Himachal Pradesh, to Shimla, Kulu, Manali, Malana, all these like amazing Charas zones in Northern India. I've been to, is that the Hindu mountains? Yeah. That, That's the, the Hindu it's called, mountains. It's called the, no, the Hindu Kush are in yes. uh, Pakistan, okay. Afghanistan. This is called the Himachal Pradesh which is like the, the, the Dalai Lama is in Dharamasala. But for the most part, it's the mountains that separate Nepal, Tibet, and India. And it's a very large hash consuming, growing uh, culture in the hills of Malana. There's people that are, say they're descendants of Alexander the Great and they won't touch foreigners. And you can't really even go up there without a, a proper guide, no pictures. Uh, and they've been cultivating and harvesting and rubbing uh, charas for a long, long time. Uh, I've been into uh, Nepal, into Pokhara, into uh, some of those like uh, Kathmandu and I've seen how they do, you know, 
a little bit touristy now, but I got some temple balls and saw some of the charas, you know, a lot of the hash over there, those two countries, hand rubbed. I've also been to Morocco. I've been into Katama. I've been into Chefchaouen. So a lot of, you know, been to a lot of these, Jamaica, I've done some of those funny ganja tours up into the hills where some Rasta takes you to his little plot. I've always really wanted to, and the, the Rasta plot thing started when I was 16 on cruise ships, when I would go with my parents on a cruise with the family and bail from them at port of call to like, say I'm going with a Rasta to go check out reggae stuff. And I was just going to get high. So at 16, I was already finding ways to come up with some shenanigans to get high and get away from my parents. So travel, cannabis, to Thai, eventually, you know, all led to Thailand. Uh, and then I eventually got the call to come back to Northern California from Bosco, the same guy that I started all the the dispensary and the growing with that we, we grew up from middle school up to uh, come back and, and help him in the hills of, of NorCal. And then we started doing, uh, we started doing, you know, medical cultivation outside big plants, never more than 99 plants per property, uh, 16 patients, six plants per patient flowering. You're jumped right back in. Jumped right back in. Uh, we, we, I was in Thailand, you know, on IC mag on like these like new THC farmers. I was, I was reading, I was, I was following up on, on everything I was missing. I was, you know, Tom Hill and some of these other big plant growers. There was a guy named Butte on IC mag. Like I was seeing what they were doing with some of these plants in one hole, uh, with one plant, like 10 pounds, 14 pounds, 15 pounds. I'm like, that's, that got me all excited. I love the horta trellis. But why move back? Because it was such a, you know, I was making minimal, uh, I wasn't making that much money in Thailand. So it was definitely an opportunity, more of an opportunity to, to, my girlfriend was, I wanted to marry her. We did get married on paper just to get her over uh, as my wife to build something in America. Mm -hmm. So it was, it was multi-pronged. It was to get back to my family. It was to get out of Thailand. It's very tough to make it as a 20 something year old white guy uh, on a visa in Bangkok selling like you know what i mean i have a lot of things going against me uh to succeed um got her back here and then we we got a property uh in oroville a 40 acre property and did like it was ours that we ran and grew mostly gas uh a lot of ogs tahoes uh chem valley cushions a lot of chem diesel a lot of the chemi kind of gassy stuff and grew uh we did about i think it was like 400 pounds the first wow. year huge outdoor grow no, no more than 99 plants yeah, so at that yeah. time it was only a four you know pound average which eventually was the first year of soil because back in the day we would go clear out these pieces only it wasn't like you you did a plot like today we would do holes in the ground but we would be buying up to like 300 to 500 yards of soil for each hole so it would be literally a jacuzzi like a jacuzzi hole in the ground so some of these plants the first year we were kind of it was a big hole with a little plant we were learning everything we got four pound average by like the third year on those same, you know, sec on those same holes, the soil kept getting bigger or better. It was all, uh, all organic amendment, you know, no till, if you will. Uh, I mean, Tui, who still is with, you know, working together with me today, who's, who's been with me since the hills of, of Oroville, went up to Oregon for Pistol Point, came back down to Natura. Uh, I think he had a 23 pounder, like one plant, like one plant, 23 pounds. So he was hitting like 23 pounds, 20. 18 pounds, 16 pounds on some of these things, they would just not stop growing. So many arms, 
uh, uh, 12 to 15 feet diameter from stalk to stalk to each plant. You're talking acreage, uh, not like an acre to two acres, but only for 99 plants. Those are so optimal, plants. optimal, optimal. It's Christmas trees. Yeah. And that's when we started. Yeah. I started washing like a lot of the trim at that time. There was no fresh freezing or anything. I didn't know we would freeze the trim and whatnot, but using my bubble bags, isolator bags, making good bubble hash, mostly for myself. There were no freeze dryers. So when we would make a lot of hash, I didn't have all the tech. Sometimes it would mold out or whatnot. Cause you know, we wouldn't, you know, was really it branded? Was was it a branded? No, no brand. Okay, so no it was branding. all just hitting the market. No branding, just mm-hmm. mostly like medical mm-hmm. uh, distributor types who would come to the farm and whatnot, and we would just you know, collective to collective. So this is before Pistol Point. Then. This is before Pistol okay. Point. I was doing all that in 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 Northern California, and then uh, we started. There were there were it was four of us, including Tui, that that ended up going to Oregon and starting Pistol Point. Uh, eventually, it was was Sid, myself, and Tui. Uh, he, the guys came and they, they saw what we were doing in Northern California, really liked it. And Sid, my partner in pistol point really wanted to do something in Oregon. That was the state that he chose. He was from New York. Uh, you know, much like me in California, California is my home. I nothing more than I want to do is succeed and do good here in my state. He's the same with New York. So came to Oregon to really learn. Uh, we went together, we built pistol point in Oregon indoor, uh, created some amazing relationships, grew some amazing flower, uh, still around today. Um, we built some big relationships, built some big relationships. Touch on that. Yeah. Big relationships. Like really we did, did a really great one was, uh, uh, you know, Sid was forward thinking with doing a collab with G pen and we were the fill partners, uh, with TJ's in Oregon to do the G pen geo launch, which, uh, at the time was some cool proprietary, you know, pods uh that there was packs and pretty much that at the time um and cookies through, that, collab. through that there was cookies and through that i had kind of fallen off uh my relationship with with gill with with burn for a while. i haven't i hadn't been in touch i was doing my thing he was doing his thing i saw that him connecting with cosmo which is another long story for another time because i've known cosmo his producer since we were 16 from just smoking weed like coming back from my israel trip when i was 16 in the bay area i i've known cause so i've had the, the privilege and luxury of reconnecting with cause as well. And my kid plays with his kid and we're, you know, family friends and it's awesome. We're close small. to each other uh, and whatnot. Um, <laughs> but we were, uh, it, it was Chris and G pen and Sid and the whole G pen uh, collab that, that brought uh, like burn back around. And we started doing collabs with cookies. We started, we helped launch cookies into Oregon. Uh, and, and it was, it was an amazing G like the G pen platform and Oregon was an amazing way uh, for us to just get involved with a lot of players in the space, build a name really quickly uh, and, and, and cement ourselves in Oregon and, you know, with, with other people just as being, as being players. But you're specifically an operator, right? I was, you know, I, unfortunately uh, with Oregon, you know, I sent Tui, you know, or Tui went up and, and I, I tried to throw as much as I could to Oregon. I have a, a seven-year-old autistic son uh, that requires a lot of my wife and I, mostly my wife. She's, bless her heart, with him most of the time so I can do what I need to do to, to support the family and whatnot. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that was a negative for me and for the group that I wasn't able to really live in Oregon and be there all the time. And it was, it was tough for the, for, for the, the, the company, 
I did what I could. I do, I do what I can, but it was a big, uh, it's a big obstacle for, for my family to not be around. And my wife just got her driver's license like a little over the, a year ago. She's older than I am. Like, so it was really tough in my house having a wife that wasn't able to drive an autistic son. I have a 10 year old daughter, my son, uh, who also works at, uh, nature. And now he's 25. I, in, I inherited through awesome. marriage, a 25 year old son that I brought from Thailand when he was 16, uh, and put him through high school. And he now cultivates cannabis still hasn't consumed cannabis, but loves growing it, loves all the, uh, aspects of, of touching the plant and whatnot. Um, so uh, for Oregon, I was, I knew what it took to operate, but I was also Sid and I both developed the business, you know, a lot of relationships and whatnot. Uh, I would try to do what I could. I would go up there probably once a month, three to four, I'd try to be three to four days or as often as I could, but uh, it was tough. I was, I was trying to, we were also trying to build something in California. We had a building that in Sacramento uh, that we put a lot of money to with some other uh, partners that I grew up with as well uh, that didn't succeed. And that's actually how in Sacramento, I found out about Natura, what was building with Natura. And I was able to kind of spend time meeting Ori and the team that he was building over at Natura uh, to find something to, to bring Pistol Point to, to have a name in California again um, and be close to my family uh, because my family was, was suffering. Even me leaving three, four days is, t- is tough for them. And I had to bring it a lot more home. I, my, my son, the older he gets, the, the more he needs uh us in his life it's important for him to to have us around it's not you know he's very routine uh oriented but yeah so so pistol point oregon yep uh we we exited to a canadian company uh last year um and then now the focus is pretty much for pistol point in california and then sid is is in new york uh really doing some cool things in new york he's got his head down focused on new york which is his baby, where he loves to be, where his home is. Uh, and we're just, we've had a, I was telling you guys earlier, Jungle Boys fire that happened, I think it was like four years, three or four years ago. Same time, we had a massive fire in Oregon. We've had two fires, actually. Electrical, same thing. Electrical, the sparks fell on the tables. Uh, the smoke and all the sprinklers ruined everything. Could you explain that to people? Because not a lot of people have seen, like some people just hadn't seen what, what had what happened. What happened is, yeah, and we were using, I think it was like a combination of metal halide and HPS. Uh, the some sparks like one of the lights sparked the sparks fell down we had like plastic tables that were holding the plants the sparks would hit the tables the tables would smolder and smoke and burn the smoke and the the, all of that triggers uh sprinklers because we have to have sprinklers in all these rooms the sprinklers go on they spray down they damage so between the smoke and the sprinklers and the you're you're pretty much done you're done you for. lose everything and that in happened that in room. our mother room one time and in the flower room one time so uh i oh i would one recommendation i would have for every cultivation especially with new and important genetics have carbon copies off-site you never know and in insurance you can get money back you can't get plants back you cannot get a lot of these things back sometimes they're gone forever uh find a good trusted person find a good trusted place and and try to keep a uh, carbon copy somewhere especially if it's something that's really important to your program your brand your facility whatever it is uh 
we've lost a lot of good ones, people, you know, people and plants over, over the years. It's a scary thing that I think a lot of people in the whole business, all of cannabis, never thought of that. When we saw the Jungle Boys fire and we saw the whole room get ruined and then it's all because a bulb bursts and the bulb hits that that plastic tray. And if that AC is attached to other rooms, the whole rooms are gone. So they had to, you know, you're talking millions of dollars of loss. And like you said, that happened in a mom room. You end up losing all the genetics. In, uh, priceless. 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 There you go. Just like art. It's like some of these things that when a, someone dies or something like that, like, you know, a lot of these genetics, people have died or people are gone or or the genetics, the, the, the seeds lose virility. They stop sprouting or. There's so many things in cannabis and at the end of the day, they're just plants. Uh, and now we're seeing all these, you know, viruses and viroids and whatnot, even the things that we had been keeping and they're getting infected by other plants around them. And, you know, we're all, a lot of people are growing things that are infected. Uh, a large and then, percentage. You know, a lot of people are, are trading those infected plants around and it's just, it's, it's a, it's a, it's a bad process and it's, it's, it's tough. And that's why I love popping seeds. And, you know, like finding new things and, and they're usually starting off on the right foot without a lot of problems, unless they're just, you know, the seeds themselves are, are problematic. So that's, that's a, a favorite pastime of mine. Like right now we're doing a big hunt at nature. Uh, we have a new mother room, a new hunt room. Uh, so we're, and that's like for, you know, explain friends. what nature is, man. Yeah. Cause you're underputting well, it. Yeah. Or so hold on. I want to digress a little <laughs> bit, move up to Oregon. Pistol, pistol point, mm -hmm. birth of that. Now, when you're closing it out, how long did pistol point, how long were you working on that project? 2014, uh, till about 2021, you know what okay. I mean? Six, seven years up there. Yeah. Uh, it's a good run. It was a good run. Um, the, and then talk about the transition. Like how did, cause, it, cause the building no, I was talking yeah, about. Yeah, no Chura, it's like, it's a big situation. And so how did that come about coming out of, Pistol point. So Hall of Flowers, um, Hall of Flowers, I think it was 2018. There was a group that was formed on WhatsApp by this guy, uh, this guy uh, named Matt. And it was called the Cannabis, or it's still around. It's called the Cannabis <laughs> Illuminati. And it's basically a list of operators, owners, certain you know, figures in the space around the, around the country and world that we all connected on WhatsApp. And there was a party, uh, an Illuminati party that was thrown at Canacraft. Uh, Ned and Dennis of Canacraft had everyone over there. It was an awesome event. It was great turnout. So many who's who's were there, whatnot. And I was one with my, my partners at the time, two of them that we were doing the, trying to do this build out in Sacramento, but these are friends I grew up with. Um, they come over to me and they tell me, hey, because Rambo, my friend Ram is a Persian and Scott, you know, we're both kind of half Jewish. He's half Jewish. I'm full Jewish, but he, they're joking with me. Ron likes to joke with me. He's like, Hey, one of your guys, he's an Israeli guy. Or he's like, we're just talking to this guy over here, man, you need to meet him. He lives right by you in Sacramento and he's doing this crazy like project, something I've never heard of before. So I was like, I was like interested a little bit. I was on the other side of the room and then I eventually introduced myself and got his number. I saw him on the, the WhatsApp a little bit like talking cause he was also in the group. Um, and then a couple of days later in Sacramento, I met him a couple, a couple more times through the week in hall of flowers. Uh, and then eventually went by the, the, the lot cause it was a 12 acre dusty lot in the middle of Sacramento where you'd have a wall of all these 
like the vision, you know, like the, 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 the renderings and all that stuff. But it was a big lot. There was uh, construction hadn't even really started yet. There were like some trailers and it was a bunch of people talking about things that they were going to do or they wanted to do. Uh, or he was highly animated and he was kind of the one running it. Uh, but everyone else mostly hadn't really done anything big in cannabis. So it was a little nerd. And I was there with my pistol point hat on. I actually like wanted to, to, to bring pistol point. You know, if, if the building wasn't going to work that we were trying to build out, uh, I wanted to do pistol point at a place like nature. Cause I found out about nature. He explained it to me. Uh, it's a, it's basically a, a platform to scale and launch brands, uh, in, in, into the space in California in a C, in a CPG fashion, the, the cultivation, which is, uh, I think what's a, what's a CPG consumer packaged goods. Got it. Basically when you go to a, a Walmart, Costco, whatever, um, anything that's in a package, like these hash hole boxes, something that's elevated, something that's elevated and belongs on a shelf and like, is, is it going to evolve with seasons and, years and progress into something even more perfect than just like you, what you'd find in a supermarket or a, a convenience store or a clothing store or whatnot, uh, which is what we are is, is really like, you know, taking scaling and launching some of these brands and some of them from the Hills of Humboldt, like Jelly Wizard mm-hmm. to Fidel from the streets of Los Angeles uh, to make them household names and really tell their stories. That's, that's a big part of it is that these people, these brands, and they have to be involved in the brands uh, uh, have a story to tell. And we're, using all of these people to, 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 to tell their stories to the masses, uh, positive, I think our, our, I'm not going to get it word by word, but our, 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 our mantra at Natura is positively affecting millions of lives through the scaling and launching of, uh, cannabis brands like, like we're doing right now. So it's, it's, the goal is to positively affect, I definitely missed a couple of words in there, but positively affecting millions of lives mm-hmm. through these products um, and really doing fun things. Like a lot of people come to nature and, you know, come do a tour with me or come walk around and they say, it feels like Willy Wonka's wonderland. Um, going back to my uncle a little bit, I, that's what dragged me to Ori and then him and the vision and the place. I saw my uncle do something similar. I saw my uncle go from 20,000 square feet in Hunter's Point to 120,000 square feet in the Folsom area uh, market, uh, south of market in San Francisco. I saw him go from making 20,000 truffles a day to buying a machine from Cadbury that did 300,000 truffles a day. I saw him go from little mom and pop stores to going into Takishimaya in Tokyo, to Harrods in London, to Saks Fifth Avenue, to Neiman Marcus, to Macy's, to Costco, to Trader Joe's, to so, and then the exit to Hershey's. I wanted that. I want that for cannabis. I want to be, I wanted to be a part. I know. And I knew it's coming. Mm-hmm. There was no other platform I had ever seen or heard about that was like Natura. Ori has one partner. There's two partners that own it. It was 90 plus million dollar investment by one guy, no shareholders, uh, no outside groups put money. Uh, it was, it's, it's literally two guys. So it, it, it's for someone like me that, that, doesn't want to, you know, hear something and it really goes another, like we can really have action. Uh, there's solutions or he's very solution driven. Uh, Barry his his partner and the investor. He's, he's an amazing guy. 
Uh, he's one of the largest real estate holders in downtown Los Angeles, made all of his money, most of his money in the real estate uh, market. Uh, but we have a great dynamic between the two of them that allows us to flourish. And us meaning we have close to a 300, a 300 plus employees right now from cultivation to manufacturing to extraction to admin to custodial. I mean, it's, it's an amazing comp security, amazing complex, 12 acres in the, the dead center of Sacramento across the street from the Navy and Marine complex with tanks and artillery and whatnot. And then next door to FedEx where basically Ori's vision was coming in, knowing where this piece of land was and knowing who his partners were, who, what we were doing, what the mission was, and we were willing to go up against anyone, a colonel, the head of FedEx, whoever it was, to show that what we're doing is, is special, unique, and, and needed uh, to really end uh, the monopoly that pharmaceutical industry has had on uh, everything we touch and, and breathe right now. Um, and really pave the way for something really special. So nature is just something really special. It's a blank canvas uh, that a lot of artists every day get to come to and perform uh, and do their best. And you know, it's it's a it's a beautiful thing. Fidel came and had a, a hash hole uh, vision and trained an amazing team, hands on of of we hand roll uh, all of the hash holes. No rolling machine. No no nothing. Uh, and these these amazing people are dedicated in one room to rolling and that's just one room you got automated joints you got flower pack off you have the kitchen is amazing we do edibles uh for some of the most amazing groups uh in the space everyone from alien labs uh to buddies um we're doing uh we do jelly wizard uh d d right now we're doing a, a rosin uh a gummy that's that's doing amazing in, in the space. It's, it's, uh, catching waves. It's, it's, it's something that we built four or five years ago. D means good and tie. And, uh, CBD was what we were kind of focused on at the time doing, uh, like CBD gummies and whatnot. Uh, but it's a play on Thailand and, and what I've you know done, done in my past in Thailand, what I plan on doing in Thailand, uh, met some amazing people in Thailand. So the partnership with D involves the the support of some notable thai people uh we have some plans to license it in thailand as well because the goal the goal really is to just you know on the bottom of every bag there's there's a uh, the child childproof stuff there, right. uh, there's some uh fun facts on the bottom of every bag so each mm. each bag of d is vegan gluten-free Always solventless hash, no disty hidden in there. We're we're only using solventless hash rosin. Tastes phenomenal. Uh, that th you can taste that there's something in They're gluten -free. there. Gluten free. Gluten free. Oh, I feel uh, so much better. <laughs> <laughs> they definitely smack. You know, you, we have to max out at 100 milligrams, but they definitely smack. We're using full spectrum. What is each piece? Do you know, off ten. 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 Tastes ten. phenomenal, yeah. man. You can taste. I definitely can taste hot. a little bit of rosin. I love that. Definitely though. can taste it. Yeah, that's what you want. You want a little bit of that. You know. Disty is a way of Love getting it. people high, but it's a very one-sided high. Uh, yes. The warm fuzzies that a lot of these hash edibles give you is, is definitely uh, catching people uh, by storm. And, and people are slowly migrating away from distillate-based edibles. I'm noticing a, a lot of trends in the market shifting towards either you know hash rosin or hash the body effects are so different off of hash rosin and same with the giggle effects uh the distillate it's, it's you got to know i mean it's hot dog water that's what they used to call it because what it's made out of 
I mean, literally, you guys are working with rosin and you're able to cultivate resin at your single source facility. Yep. And D is also a cool platform, too, where it's a it's a high focus brand of of gummy. But each release or, you know, different releases have different hash inputs. So we did a critical uh, critical uh, Alex and his team did the, the hash oh, rosin for the first one. Critical. Big shout out. Critical Big concentrates. Shout out to critical, one of the legends. Very. I used to come down from the hills of Oroville to, to <laughs> Emerald Cup and you'd have Critical and, and Turp Hogs and Third Gen and Connected and, you know, Cookie. All these guys doing like amazing, amazing things. Uh, Gold Drop, you know, maybe the Shatters and like the Beazel and First Class Concentrates. Oh. All the like, they were, I would come down from the hills and I would only have my son grown, which was cool. But I'd want all these cool terps that were, you know, coming out of all these places that you, it would take me an hour to even drive to another property in Orville. I wasn't really going around that much. Southern uh, Humble Concentrates. All, yeah, Southern yeah. Humble, just all that good stuff. So that's where I, I, I you know, got integrated back into California because I had been out. You know, also, there were a lot of those years when we were up in the hills of Northern California. We didn't uh, want to talk to a lot of people. We were really hush hush. We were always... You know, I've been through a lot. We've been through a lot. Always nervous there was going to be someone coming to mm -hmm. knock down your door, either rob you or arrest you. What? Who knows? There was. We, we didn't. Yeah, we didn't yeah. know. Um, so we just had to to keep chugging. It was it was it was crazy. Man, just to digress a little bit, what you went on vacation to Thailand, then you just stayed. Went on Thailand. I went on vacation to Thailand. Uh, stay for four no, or five years. No, no, you it came wasn't back. That, it was so at that time, there used to be a nonstop flight Thai Air from LA to Bangkok. It was the shit. It was sixteen or seventeen hours one way, no stops. Because now, if anyone wants to fly to Thailand from America, you need to stop in usually Taiwan or Hong Kong or Singapore or uh, Tokyo or whatnot because to cut it up a little bit. And there's not a big enough demand for Thailand yet. Uh, so I. I went on that first trip. It was New Year's Eve, 2005. Went to Koh Samui. My first, I went to Bangkok, but got on another flight. Didn't spend any time in Bangkok. Met three of my friends over there that were already in Thailand two or three days. They already had like their little, like they, they knew what they were doing. They were already out excursioning and whatnot in Koh Samui when I arrived. So I remember I was like two hours alone walking on the beach. My first minutes in Thailand, looking around, smelling. It was New Year's Eve. It was Chawang Beach in Koh Samui, like looking around, seeing the tourists, the massages, the food, the, the, the vibes, the music, mm -hmm. the, the weather, the smell. I was like, wow, because I've traveled a lot. I've, I've been to a lot of countries. My, my dad used to trade food to British Airways. We used to go to, to travel a lot. Uh, I'd never experienced anything like this. You know, I, at that time, I was a Mexico, Jamaica guy. I used to go to Jamaica every year, love reggae music, I'd go to Negril and smoke and just chill. I go to like, that was my thing. So I, I, I did want tropical in my life. I did want, you know, Kosamui first night I had a motorcycle accident on New Year's Eve in front of all these restaurants, just not like detrimental, but scratched up my whole leg. All these girls came over and helped us like clean up and like we were young and a lot skinnier than I am now. I was looking pretty good. <laughs> so they hung out with these girls, hung out with us the whole night. Eventually, you know, it was, I had fun, we were hooked up, uh, kept in touch, went back to Thailand over and over. And I think in one year, I went like seven or eight times on vacation. Wow. We were doing well in LA and shit kept happening that like was making me crazy. So I was just like, fuck it, I'm, I'm going to Thailand. 
so and you're I, staying for how long each time you're going? Oh, two weeks. Okay. The first time I extended it an extra week, but two weeks. Mm-hmm. Uh, discovering the country, really going around. Uh, and then we became kind of like, you know, boyfriend, girlfriend for the most part, long distance. I ended LA. Uh, and then I moved to Thailand. At the beginning, I didn't know if I wanted to work or whatnot. I went to co- yeah. back to Koh Samui, the island that I had met her at. And really found fell in love with that island because there's a lot of cool shit. And it's kind of like uh, near Kopangan, which is where they do full moon parties. So it's not as crazy as the full moon island, but you get a lot of that fun, like bars and my DJs. I used to do a lot of like music with dance music or a lot of work with dance music. At one point, I was like managing DJs before cannabis and stuff like that. And I, I grew up in the rave scene of San Francisco going to raves when we were like 16, 17, 18 um is it like the movie the beach it is like this so that's kopi p but <laughs> they're, they're, that, that whole, never I seen the weed field, never that. seen the weed feel like that but went to kosamui took some took some thai classes had a tutor come to my house because i like languages i can speak spanish i can speak and read hebrew uh i really wanted to i don't one of my pet peeves in life is going somewhere and not knowing what people are saying so i really wanted to learn i had people coming over to teach me but it was too fun in Kosamui and I wanted to make some, I wanted to try and make some money and try and work. So went to Bangkok, uh, convinced my buddy that was in Colombia to do like, we, I think we put in like 20 K each, uh, to start an office in Bangkok to like sell and broker rice and coffee. Uh, and for about four years, we're in the heart of Bangkok in like, kind of like the red light district, but like the South end of the street, it's called uh, soy four, Sukhumvit soy four. It's called Nana. It's like right. Ironically called Nana, like in Bangkok. Uh, and my office was like an apartment way down South every morning going to the gym. I'm like walking down like one of the most populated tourist streets where there's like lady boys and people still drinking on the streets at seven in the, when I would go to the gym seven in the morning, they're all still raging and partying on the streets. So it was really like fun part of the city. And Bangkok, you smoked weed the whole time. Secretly. Yeah. Secretly, uh, very privately. Uh, nobody knew my, my girlfriend slash wife now, but nobody knew what I had done before. Like very, like very few people knew like what I was like, what I did. Cannabis was super hush hush at that time. You, you know, I remember even, uh, it was when Obama was getting elected or he was going through elections and Bush, George Bush Jr. was visiting, was the end of his tenure. He was visiting Bangkok. And the FBI was and like the Thai police were like doing their fly with the helicopters around Bangkok just to like make sure it was all good for George Bush. And I'm like hiding. I had like a little plant, like a little auto plant, <laughs> like hiding like my plant on my balcony because I like nervous. I have trauma post-traumatic from all the hills. Like, you know, we had helicopters every day. And um, so, yeah, in Thailand, I was I was I was smoking on the DL. It was either the brick swag from Laos that comes over on the boats across, across the Mekong uh, into Thailand, or it was uh, Nepali or Indian hash that people would bring over and you would smoke it. Uh, you would smoke it with either tobacco or, or weed, like shitty weed. Uh, the hash was always so awesome when we would get it. Yeah. Uh, but now Thailand's changed a lot. You know, you can find even Cali weed from some people out there. There's, you know, you can. Any uh, close calls? In Thailand? Like, yeah, where you were like, holy no. shit, I almost got caught smoking weed and no. got arrested. No, and I was always really like, yeah. when I would go to Singapore, when I would go to Malaysia, or I'd go to Indonesia Ooh. or Bali, I was really careful. 
when I would go to those countries, Maldives, I, when you'd go to those countries, I've been lucky too. They never like really like check me hard because I think they scare the shit out of people so hard that they don't necessarily need to look, but you don't even, it, all those countries I just mentioned, Indonesia, Singapore, Malaysia, and Maldives on the landing card, the visa card that you fill out your information when you land in, they're usually white and in red print on the bottom, it says warning, drug, pun, drug smuggling is punishable by death. And they'll say it on the airplane, the announcement, when you're landing, like right when you're about to land. So like, if you have anything on you, you're tripping. Yeah, you're tripping. You're like, so that I, those people that get caught up in the airports and with like kilos and Bali and whatnot, like they know what's coming. You know what's coming. Like you're, you're risking some shit. But most of those places, not Singapore, and I don't know Malaysia as well, but most of those places are corrupt, you know, and you'll find... Like the, the police that confiscate the weed are probably, or yeah. were, I mean, they were selling it to that guy. And then the weed that's being sold is the stuff that the police confiscated. Um, so that's the way a lot of those parts of the world. Work. And now look at it. Now there's going to be a cookies, Thailand, cookies, Thailand. There's gonna be a cookies, Thailand, the partner, uh, the group that we, you know, that formed together with, with cookies uh, in Thailand. Uh, one of the partners, Tom Cruciporn, uh, I used to, when I used to live in Thailand, one of the like equivalent to Southwest airlines and the low cost carrier is called air Asia. It's a Malaysian airline and they have a Thai subsidiary called Thai air Asia. Uh, it's one of the biggest low cost carriers in Thailand. They fly all around Asia, Japan, whatnot. They were even flying to Europe and in the little pamphlet, in the marketing pamphlet, like seven thirty seven seven, in the little air, used to have this guy, Tom's face. He was like, he was a partner in AirAsia, but he was also like a face. He was like a, so I was seeing this guy's face uh, in Thailand a little bit. I was just a random, you know, customer of this airline. Fast forward to Hall of Flowers. Uh, he came from Thailand and I would see him online. He likes to talk on Facebook and mostly Facebook was his, and YouTube. Uh, and he came and met me at Hall of Flowers in Santa Rosa and we hit it off. He started wow. interviewing me. Uh, we started meeting in Vegas here and there and whatnot. Um, and then eventually he wanted to do, he, he's, he exited AirAsia, his like 10% to uh, the company that owns a super rich, which is the biggest, or not super rich, uh, King Power, which is the biggest, one of the biggest duty-free companies in Thailand. They also own Leicester City, uh, a soccer club in the UK. Like this is a really powerful family. I think like Four or five years ago, the, the owner of the company died in a helicopter crash in the UK. It was a really big story. Uh, he exited his 10% share in the airline. I think the company exited for like 900 million or 800 something million dollars uh, to, to this new company. So he had some power behind him, really trying to build something for the Thai people. Uh, met, you know, I, ma I made the introduction to, to Gil, to Burner. Uh, everyone hit it off. There's a great group in play for the Thai side. They're doing already uh, licensed CBD and THC cultivation uh, with the uh, Nongkai uh, University. Everyone that's cultivating cannabis right now, THC, CBD in Thailand, <clears throat> has to be a pilot project with the university. And everything that comes out of it has to be donated or whatnot to the government ministry of health. Uh, and then they're just starting to have these like little like medical uh, clinics where it's not smokable, it's tinctures, it's stuff like that. It is available on a limited basis to medical, but I've already seen documents being uh, formed by the government for people like us 
uh, for Thailand upon arrival, a form, a government form to fill out your name, how much marijuana, if you're a medical patient, how much cannabis marijuana you're bringing into the kingdom, like signing it and they're going to check it and they're going to sign off on it. So they're trying to be like, you know, it's aggressive and it's obviously it's illegal to smuggle cannabis out of almost every country. But Thailand has always taken an approach where if it arrives, it's okay. Like Thailand, you know, most countries in the world only allow you to take out $10,000 per person or even family if they feel like it's a a money smuggling type thing. Thailand says 20,000. Thailand says bring 20,000. So it's obviously Americans. We can't bring over 10, but other nations, if they, so they're opening up the Pandora, the, the, the doors to nations or countries to allow uh, you, if the country on the other side has the ability to import cannabis, they're letting you do it. So it's like a whole new, they, this is going to, it's like a pass, if you will. And when I was in Spain with you guys, I met a, a German character, a really nice guy, a Terps army who showed me a, a legal EU document that he carries that he can bring cannabis from Germany to Spain on the airplane, on the car, like anything. Like, so these guys have car. 40 grams. I think it was like 40 grams, 50 grams. So there are these kind of documents around the world. You know, we obviously have the script still in California, which is, you know, rarely used or whatnot for, for courts mostly and whatnot. Uh, and for getting taxes, uh, you know, no paying, not paying taxes and whatnot. Uh, but the international world is paving the way. And, you know, I, when you guys hopefully come visit me in nature, a lot of the, the way that we built out nature, like cultivation, for example, I'll throw around some names. Like I threw around a, a CPG, the cultivation is built out to EU European Union GAP Good Agricultural pro, uh, Practices. The manufacturing or building to our factory is built out to GMP Good Manufacturing Practices. All of these don't mean shit uh, for cannabis uh, on a legal side until federally things get lifted mm-hmm. and we can utilize those standards like hemp, like food like other, you know, industries, but we're building out in a way that when federal lifts and when authorities like the FDA come in, we're going to be able to either, you know, minor tweaks or minimal tweaks. We stay in business. We're able to, to continue, maybe even hopefully a, a, a export. Uh, I tell everyone that, that that's when I'm going to kind of take a backseat and probably relax a little bit is when we're able to be duty-free. Cannabis can be duty-free much like alcohol, tobacco, chocolates, anything you'd buy it like Tom Bradley or SFO or JFK or whatnot on your flight out, similar to Thailand, to a country that it will allow you to import a specific amount of cannabis. We want to be treated the same. I want to see certain products available. You know, not everything, not every whiskey is available at duty free, but you can get a good amount of them. And they're usually like the, the integral players from the, you know, Scots and the Japanese and the, the, the Kentuckys and these, these, whiskey, you know, uh, Appalachias, if you call them around the world, not, you know, that, that do whiskey, same goes for cannabis. I think cannabis or California, the biggest brand of, of, of cannabis in, in, in the world is California. Mm-hmm. So a lot of those brands, much like how perfume is French and uh, chocolate is Belgian champagne. Uh, yeah. yeah it's it's going to well. go, you know, jungle boy. A lot of these, a lot of these guys will probably cookie. A lot of these brands, Stizzy, uh, will probably be those, uh, you know, those key key bench benchmarks that'll that'll be around hopefully for for a long time. And there's a lot of great up and comers that are building names that are going to be 
there just as well. I like what you said. Nature is a platform for, would you say creatives or for artists? Yeah. We're, uh, yeah. When you're thinking of doing something, because obviously you want to take that and work with a bunch of different people on different ideas. What, what are you looking for in a person that you guys collab with? Cause I know a bunch <sighs> of brands and a bunch of black market guys that want to get white market or a bunch of brands that have a huge following that just want to, you know, so I'm for those guys, like after, well, after mm-hmm. being through learning so much, you know, a lot of tribal knowledge since the beginning, since the beginning, I would say the two main things, and we're just building this out right now at Nature, which is exciting, but it's like a little, I don't want to say late to the party, but just happening now is sales and marketing. Like, you know, we're, we're a factory. We manufacture, we grow. We've, it's taken us over a year to really get our flower to a point that we're, we're, we're proud to share it and show it with the world. Uh, it was a lot to do. It was a lot of work to really turn just whatever plants we could get from any nurseries at that day one to rush to get plants in to having a focus and a strategy and growing for certain people or brands and certain varieties and getting them to a point where you, you know, we have a big wholesale department, like to get it to a point where the numbers are, are good and we're getting good, you know, return uh, on our cultivation. And the industry starts talking about your product being mm. like something that, you know, right now a lot of people don't know, but we're powering uh, Natura's flower powers, a lot of, you know, brands, a lot of big wholesalers, uh behind the scenes and, and we like to keep it behind the scenes a lot of people don't necessarily want to showcase that a big behemoth like natura is growing for them uh but we're we're having fun really we're powering so i would say to get into natura it would really help if brands or person or personalities have sales and marketing have a creative have a lot of that on their side that they can bring to the table it's not something that especially in the past we're just, you know, getting our creative director. We're just, you know, building, I'm, I'm literally building a sales team as we speak. I got some great uh, people right now, but we're, we're always looking for amazing uh, people to help push these platforms, these Fidel's, the Jelly Wizards, the D's, the, the Pistol Point. We, we work with Heisman, Ricky Williams and his uh, team. Ricky's an amazing, I used to watch him play at Texas and his story is amazing. And uh, there's just a lot like, I like to call Natura the United Nations of cannabis. And if a lot of people don't know, the United Nations, you know, is the whole world, but it's actually located in New York City. And the United Nations is located in New York City on a strip of land that is owned by the United Nations. It's a strip of land that while no one from North Korea, no one from some of these countries like Afghanistan, Taliban, all these, you know, countries can come to America on a visa. If you have a seat at the UN, you can come into New York for your meeting, do the UN, you know, council meet, whatever. And then you have to go home You're, you can't, you know, for the most part, if they, they're not like a recognized, you know, some, somebody that, especially in like Russia, all these, but they're still coming to New York to the UN in that building, you know, certain times a year, you have everyone seated around the table. When they're around the table, for the most part, everyone's head is in the same place. Everyone's mind is in the same place. We're all trying to better humanity. We're all trying to like, you know, represent everyone, bridge everyone. While some of us might be at war, while some of us might not get along, while some of us come from completely different walks of life, we can get together in that setting. Natura, that's what we envision. It's something bigger than a lot of us. It's, it's a place that, you know, three years ago to tell brands that they're going to work together in the same place. No way. Are you kidding me? <laughs> I think I'm going to give you genetics and 
they're going to be in the same, or I mean, you think I'm going to make a gummy in the mm. same kitchen as them? And like, no way. Cash makers. I'm going to build my own facility, mm-hmm. my own place, you know? So this goes against all of that. Like the, the nature goes against all that. Um, so it, it, it's, it's such an insane dynamic. I, I, the United Nations were, you know, I, one of my visions is like you would drive by in like two, three years. Cause we're still not completely finished. We have a two tier indoor. We're going to start building soon so we can have both the indoor and the mix light. The mix light has 40, almost 4,700 lights, uh, at the facility. And we built them ourselves with the lighting team in China, uh, deconstructed a couple lights, put them together. We have a great team on the lighting. So all the lights are like our specific technology, CO2, we, we dump CO2. They're all closed bays so we can put a lot of co2 into the bays temperature and humidity control so greenhouse high-end greenhouse like, i think there's over like four and a half million dollars of concrete beautiful just concrete you know what i mean just mm-hmm. all these things that like people are why concrete concrete keeps the temperatures from fluctuating and what happens when you can control the temperatures a lot more you have less you know problems with mold and humidity and you can keep a lot of the good in and whatnot um so the facility itself is, is, is state of the art. Uh, it's, it's, a, it's a place that I, I knew I had to be a part of. Um, and what I was going to get to is I would love to see a place where in the UN and next time you guys are in New York, try and go check it out. The, the, on the street, it's all flags. It's all the flags of all the nations. And it's just crazy. It's so many nations in the world. That was almost a vision I had was like, you know, California, U.S. flag, California flag. And then literally the flags of all of the partners and, and the brands and the, the people, like whoever has a flag or whoever we're, we're working with as a, as a, a, a partner Dope. in, in the place. It's like a, I used to go to JCC's Jewish community centers as kids, but even in the JCC, you know, there would be like Jerry Rice, all the, the brothers from Palo Alto would come in and play basketball mm-hmm. or you didn't have to be Jewish. Like we had really good, like the pools, all my, the Tongans would come from San Mateo and come like, it was a community center where obviously it was built by, you know, Jews for Jews. We're, we're open. We're only 1% of the world. So Jews are pretty, you know, after what happened to us in, in, in the Holocaust, we're, we're trying to be open. Um, so I, I saw a lot of those values in nature. You know, my dad's Israeli, but his first friends coming over were Palestinians. I was raised in a household where it doesn't matter who you are or what you are. You, you open your door to anyone. You're where that's what the beauty of California is. Uh, California is the hot, you know, hodgepodge of so many amazing cultures and people that migrated here from so many places. And that's what makes it so dynamic and, uh, such a force to be reckoned with. Uh, and I w- wouldn't want to be anywhere else, you know, for the most part of my, in, in my life. So, um, especially now with federal legalization, this is the Mecca. It's going to really, is. this is where you're going to be able to see it really take off and, and, and birth, you know, and you guys are at the forefront of that with multiple brands. I mean, this right here, this tie, you would call it a tie gummy or a tie inspired gummy. It's a gummy. tie gummy. And it, what, it really, Phenomenal, what it really is, is it's nostalgia. Mm-hmm. Like I was a little kid uh, where I'm from in the Bay Area, walking into Asian candy stores and buying super colas, buying white rabbits, uh, buying the little like red candies. We were buying the little Botan rice candies that you eat the paper. Like when I was eight, nine, 10, my friend, Jimmy Saruki, uh, had Suruki supermarket and like Japanese supermarkets or the super lemons and super colas when I was in uh, sixth grade, all the like Jimmy, Jimmy Ting, all these guys from Taiwan would have all this. So I was around all that stuff. 
Uh, and that is the, like where D kind of came from uh, was that like bringing back nostalgia of walking down the candy aisle, especially in an Asian candy store and, and bringing cannabis into the equation and, and having it go, you can do that. D is also proof that you can do something similar uh, with a lot of ethnicities, a lot of different uh, products from around the world. I have a couple, you know, Japanese concepts in mind uh, that are really cool with the packaging and whatnot. Even in the flower side, if you look at a lot of inspiration right now in, in flower, a lot of that comes from any, you know, anime and, and, and different Japanese, uh, uh cartoons and, uh, uh, all that kind of uh, stuff. And you're seeing it a lot in the flower game with a lot of the bags, uh, the fonts, uh, and whatnot, a lot of he Japanese heavy. Uh, but Thailand is, is definitely the homage, uh, to a place that, has that story of 20 years ago, you're dying to now they're like have, uh, you know, everything is like derived from uh, leaf and seed. So it's all kind of gimmicky a little bit, but it's all breaking the stigma. Now they have like these cannabis stores in Bangkok that are selling basically like the chronic candy that we used to have here that don't get you high. Don't mm -hmm. even have CBD. They just taste the like cannabis. Yeah. But it's really just opening the doors. In a few years, you'll be able to fly to Bangkok or to Thailand and buy an eighth and smoke it. Yep. Or bring your at own. At a shop. Yeah. Or bring, or bring your, your own. own. Yeah, exactly. Or bring your own. Which is, which is kind of how it should be. Uh, yeah. You know, uh, medicine, you know, we don't really, if we're on pharmaceutical medicine, uh, uh, medication, for the most part, you're not going to another country and filling your prescription. Maybe you're buying it like, cause they don't require a prescription and you're getting it like that. And even at that, you don't know if the pharmacies are real and whatnot. Uh, but you don't trust mm -hmm. same is probably gonna be with cannabis. You know, you might, you, you might not trust maybe the quality of, of whatever you're going to your conditions might require super clean cannabis compared to someone else that can smoke some, you know, uh, whatever spray, uh, you have a lung problem. So it's, it's important to have the cleanest products possible. And sometimes it's comes from just where, you know, yourself, you know? But big shout out for you. I know we talk about it a lot. We're huge supporters of Fidel's here at First Smoke of the Day. Pat Gods and myself, we show up at all the pop-ups. But for you to be able to put some of these brands on, I mean, it just, and for you to have the creativity that you guys have and for you to be able to do this with such a big amount of money behind you just speaks to how progressive you are and how awesome your brand is. I'm going to be honest because most people, when they get that much money behind them and that much effort, it gets very streamlined. They put out their own product. They don't want to work with, you know, you guys are such a platform. We just, we love it, man. And, and we love what you're doing for these brands and for cannabis alone. You know, you're transitioning brands that sometimes couldn't do it themselves because of the, the huge hurdles California put in front of small cultivators or small hatch makers or small edibles, guys, jelly wizard Fidel's. I mean, and I know a bunch are coming, so. Yeah, no, just it's, it's just, it's just this, you. thank you. Appreciate it. And it's just, it's, it's great to be recognized and it's just the beginning because we're literally, we're just getting started right now. It took us a long time to get everything dialed in. We still haven't even built out the indoor fully. Uh, we got a lot just, you know, starting and it's exciting and just stay tuned for, you know, the ride We're we're, you know, focused in California. We're not thinking about like going all over the world and opening a nature in every state and whatnot. We're really wanting to do California right, really want to do and finish what we built uh, and do it properly uh, and with purpose, uh, but expect us to, to do other projects and expect to hear more, uh, you know, 
about us and our brands over the next call it like you know two to to four years because you know ori is not one to to just stop at, at one little thing and and he's got his foot to the gas we all do and it's an amazing crew that we have it you know i i have the luxury of you know showing face and making all these things look good and whatnot but it's an amazing team of people behind me uh that are hustling every day monday to sunday people are showing up plants don't take any days off there's no like taking a weekend off. you know someone's got to be there every day from the security to the janitor to the cultivator to the hash washer to the roller to the, the administrator to the, everyone everyone plays a part and uh i think that's the the testament to our success is appreciating everyone acknowledging everyone and knowing that it's not just like one or two or three or five of us uh that are really like making everything happen because it's such a team effort and so many lanes we're like an octopus you know with so many arms and without that head kind of to keep it all together, the arms just flop around, you know? So uh, I can't wait to have you guys over to really show you guys a little bit more of what we do. Cause it really uh, is an amazing place that uh, is, is a dedication to the plant. It's, 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 it's dedicated to the plant uh, and, and bringing out all her glory and, you know, positively affecting millions of lives um, through what we make. Natura. Yeah. Shit. Yeah, Natura. If you don't know, now you do know. For real. Uh, platform just... for brands transitioning, people that couldn't get transitioned with millions of dollars. I mean, and it expands from here. I can't wait to see the hash makers, the seed brand. I'm sure you guys got a lot of stuffs in the works right now. We I just helped Fidel, Fidel close. The, you know, we're our cookies and nature actually help with, you know, with, with burn burns, helping us also behind the scenes at nature. Uh, with cookies, Thailand, nature is a part of that. And then the, you know, pure sativa, uh, shout out to Amit and, and attitude and all the, you know, they, they already started carrying Fidel's. When do so those shirts drop? The shirts, the, I, I, so many <laughs> I people have asked about the shirts. I think there's like six of our seven of them just Ooh. for the mock-ups to, to promote it. Uh, the opening of cookies Bangkok is in August. I think we even convinced big burn to come out. And, uh, I mean, it's, cr it's crazy. The, the, the interest over there, uh, you have some of the biggest musicians, mostly hip hop that want to perform, that want burn to like, you know, they own clubs and whatnot in Phuket and Bangkok want burn to perform with them on stage. Mm -hmm. You have the head of Vans, Thailand, the skate it's in a skate park. So they want to all come skate. I got a lot of, I was with Serge and last night, even Serge Sir, uh, with Fidelia and uh, gas, no breaks. And he wants to bring his deck and come skate. I mean, like so many people want to just come skate and hang out and, it's going to be a movie. It's going to be a movie and the impact is going to be crazy. Uh, a lot of companies are from Thai. Red Bull was, you know, made by Thai, a Thai guy and an Austrian guy. And uh, Red Bull, you know, comes in a can in Asia or a, a little glass jar in Asia and in a can in Europe and the world. But that was a, a, a joint venture between a Thai. So there's a lot of big things. And I think cookies, the merch, uh, the, 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 there's never, you could never get a Puffco. You could never get a, a Santa Cruz shredder. You never get a rolling tray. Uh, you could never get vibes rolling paper. You can get like three, four. So they, they're lacking in so many things that need to come that it's going to be amazing. And it's going to be, um, you're going to see a lot of cannabis stigma break in 
in Thailand and people just start embracing this plant like very few other they they, they have a Mr. Weed. They have like a like a, a puppet, like a a guy, like you go to a ballpark and you see someone put the whole like costume on. They like Thailand has an official Mr. Weed costume guy that goes to <laughs> events and it's a leaf. The, the prime minister will be there. The deputy prime minister, like the, I met the Tom, uh, introduced me and I was able had the, uh, you know, was able to meet Anutin, who's the deputy prime minister. And he's the head of the minister of health. One of the most influential, uh, forces with cannabis in Thailand gave me a pen like from his pocket. I still have it. And it's wow. a green pen with a little Mr. Weed like Love leaf it. on it. Like the government is handing out. So we don't even have that in America for the most part. Uh, they're, they're really embracing this plan. It's, it's fun to see, uh, Thai people are happy and, and smiley and, uh, really, really great culture. So cannabis is, is going to be a great place for Canada, the food and the, the beach and all the like That's what I'm amazing scenery yeah. and whatnot. There's cannabis belongs for sure. I'm looking forward to it. All three of us sitting on yep. the beach, smoking some cookies, joining in Thailand. August, let's shoot for Man, August. That's what the future holds. And uh, big shout out Natura, man. Yeah, man, for real. Absolutely. Hell of a journey, hell of a hell of a story for real. You got a yeah. lot going on, a lot of accolades and just dope hearing about all of it, especially looking forward to the future in August. Cookies Thailand. Crazy. That's amazing. I haven't been yet. I know he hasn't been yet. I can't wait for Natura. Honestly. So we're ready to hit the scene, man, for real. We're okay. ready to see I it. Can't wait to show you guys around. Like one of my one of my influences was Anthony Bourdain. If you follow if you follow me, if you follow me on Instagram. Uh, there was a big period in my life where I took, like, I spent all my personal money on, on traveling and I just was such, and I've come from the food family, you know, my father, the restaurant and the chop, I, I like live for, it doesn't matter if it's the cheapest street, street eats or some Michelin, uh, high end. Like I want it all and I want to experience it all. I want to sit on the ground. I want to sit dress nice in the table. I want to experience every level. Uh, and there's, 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 there's nothing, there's nothing like that over there. You're going to. I can't wait. I'm looking man. forward to it. I'm gonna beach it up, man. We're going through the jungle, <laughs> yeah. on the street, coming through. I love it. Definitely no. don't smoke in the public. Yeah, yeah. You know, I've been caught in Jamaica and in Mexico. It's probably gonna be like that. In you know, I have friends that friend, you know, friend just got caught in Colombia uh, a couple months ago. It's easy money for police officers. Uh, they'll catch you. They'll shake you up. They'll take your money. They'll make you feel like you're going to jail usually and you usually won't go to jail. So Don't one word of advice, if you are going to get, you know, try to smoke hash or something a little bit more discreet capsules, stuff like that, or just be really discreet. Even in these places like Thailand and even Cambodia that have happy herb pizza joints and all this stuff, like don't just flaunt things like you're in LA or in California where you can just, or where you can just smoke uh, openly. I don't want to see people, uh, get in trouble so it's still yeah still real. have to be disclaimer careful. Put the disclaimer will, out there with, yeah big disclaimer with be the careful. amount of business one last thing i know before we close i have one question because it this is something hard for the amount of business and the amount of uh leases and the amount of stuff you've been able to accomplish is there a piece of advice you'd give to like a young business guy who's trying to get into cannabis or someone who's trying to get a lease or get a shop or trying to you know just something to the toughest thing is when you when you have a dream or a vision and you don't have the money, especially right now, it's hard, you know. So if you have partners or you need a partner to to make your dream become become a reality, vet them, make sure that they're the right people, you know, 
even if it's family members, make sure that you really want to do work with family, you know, make sure the dynamic is there, but do what makes you happy and, and do what, what, you know, create a, have a vision, have a plan. Don't just play roulette, playing every number on the, on the board, try to be calculated and play as few numbers as possible. Kind of focus. Uh, don't just throw things on the wall and see what sticks always. Uh, but just have fun and, and do what you like to do. And usually you'll make, you'll, you'll make it work or you'll make money. Don't try to not be yourself. Don't try to do what the other people are doing because it looks cool or you think that it works. Don't try to think things work. If you're thinking things work and you don't know how to make them work and Mm -hmm. you don't have a good team around you, take a breather, study, build that team, find like-minded individuals, and then execute. Uh, But too many of us jumped into things or just needed FOMO. FOMO is like a real big thing in cannabis. You know, your fear of missing out and what the other guys are doing. And uh, not a lot of people just put their head down and ignore the fuzz and just go like stick in their lane and do what they want. And a lot of the great guys that you guys have had on here, that's the one common trait. If you look at everyone, you analyze everyone, it's been on your show. Everyone's put their head down, focused on what they're doing. And, and, and executing and not just talk, 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 you know, talk is cheap. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's, that's, that's my, you know, you guys are, you know, you, you guys have the a, walk. You, yeah, you Josh guys are, and are putting in the works from day one. We can see the results. Holy shit. You gotta you walk guys. the walk, man. I like that for real. That's good advice yeah. to any young entrepreneur, especially getting in this space. What you guys are doing is amazing. We're excited for the future. <laughs> Thank you guys. Josh from Natura. Thanks for having 44. me. It's first smoke of the day. We're out. Peace. Thank you, everyone. Much love. What's up? I want to take a second to talk about Grow Generation, the largest hydroponic retailer in the country, over 60 stores nationwide. Go to growgeneration.com and enter in the code FIRSTSMOKE. Become a part of the family. Let's go where the pros go to grow. Hey, calling all breeders and growers to the world's largest online seed bank, neptuneseedbank.com. Check out this. I got goodies from all the best breeders in the market. To go here and change your game in your garden, go to NeptuneSeedBank.com. You can get Blackleaf and you can get all the best breeders in the game. NeptuneSeedBank.com, first smoke of the day sent you. Let's talk about Athena, one of the number one nutrient companies in the world, Athena Nutrients. Blackleaf, tell them how you use IPM in your garden. Athena IPM, one of the best products out right now for IPM management. This product passed testing for legal facilities and is what is what I use in my garden. Blackleaf approved, Athena IPM. This product and all other products, athenaag.com. Go check them out. Appreciate you guys. Yo, welcome to the Diamond Mine, the diamondmine.la, California source for boutique genetics, powered by yours truly, Blackleaf. And you know what that means? That means I'm bringing my best genetics into this. I'm bringing stuff I've been hiding, harboring away, stuff I haven't wanted to let out. We're bringing all that into the diamondmine.la and we're gonna offer that to California. Go on our website, hit the newsletter, and see if you can rock with us. Get on board with some of our genetics and change your garden. The diamondmine.la, powered by Blackleaf. We're here holding Power SI, and we want to talk a little bit about what this can do for your garden. It's a game-changing product I use in my garden. Foliar, res feeds, I recommend it to all growers. This is a game-changer. Go to Power SI and enter in the code FIRSTSMOKE to get a discount.
Yo, right here at TLC Collective, home of the Jungle Boys, where they've been playing with fire since 2006, right here in Los Angeles, California. It's at Jungle Boys on all social media, jungleboys.com, and if you want to see for yourself, come right here to TLC Collective, man. Let's check it out.